Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loya, your host. Soon I should be greeting you with our Paschal greeting, but not quite yet, because between now, today, Palm Sunday, or Flowery Sundays, we call it in the Eastern churches, and next Sunday, we have a marvelous week. We have a marvelous week in the whole church, East and West, which of course is called Holy Week in most areas of the church. However, in the Eastern lung of the church, we also call this Great Week, and there's another name for it which I like best. It's called Week of the Bridegroom. We walk with Christ through the days leading up to his trial, and during his trial, of course, his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. But also, we commemorate, and this will happen on Holy and Great Saturday, we also commemorate liturgically his descent into hell. It's a very significant service, and we'll be getting to that a little bit later. That, of course, is during the Easter Vigil, but it has to do with an event, a pivotal event, really, what this whole week and Christ's effort on earth was all about, conquering evil, breaking the bonds of Hades that had humanity captured and imprisoned. So, Christ will release us from that captivity, and that occurs liturgically through Holy and Great Saturday, only to rise again the next day for the world to hear about it. But we'll get to all that in a moment. Right now, we begin on Monday, Great and Holy Monday, and each day has a theme to it as we walk with Christ. And we're walking also through the scriptures. For example, today is Great and Holy Monday, and the theme today is the story of Joseph. Remember from the Old Testament, chapter 37 of Genesis? Joseph was, of course, a prefigurement of Christ's suffering. He was unjustly persecuted by his brothers, his own people, but of course he triumphed over that by his virtue. So he's a type of the archetype Christ, and that's why we refer to him on this day. And each morning this week, we have what's called the Bridegroom Matins. That's why this is called the Week of the Bridegroom, where we sing about the Bridegroom and the virgins. Remember from the Gospel? The virgins who Some of them were wise, some of them were not. Some of them were ready to meet the bridegroom, some of them were not. 
And so we hopefully take on that posture of the wise virgins who prepared themselves for the coming of the bridegroom. That's what this whole week is about. It's about preparing ourselves for that union, that mystical marriage with the bridegroom Christ. So we begin in the morning with bridegroom matins. In the evening, we have the presanctified liturgy, which we've been having all during Lent. But now we have the final three presanctified liturgies, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And again, we are reading some of the Old Testament. Also, we add to these presanctified liturgies during Great and Holy Week, we add now gospel readings. Then the next day, Great and Holy Tuesday, the theme is, in fact, the parable of the ten virgins from Matthew 24, and also our readiness for Judgment Day. Again, we have the bridegroom matins and also presanctified in the evening. Now, Great and Holy Wednesday, things really start to heat up <laughs> liturgically. I mean, they've been great all along, but they really started Wednesday. In the Latin Rite, of course, they have the Tridium, but for us, the whole of this week is significant, is considered to be one whole week of the Great Week. But on Wednesday, in the Byzantine liturgical calendar, on Great and Holy Wednesday of the Week of the Bridegroom, the theme is the repentant woman who anointed Christ's feet. And she is contrasted in the liturgical verses with the agreement by Judas to betray Christ. The anointing at the evening service, and there, there is an anointing during the presanctified liturgy, is for the healing of soul and body. In other words, our soul and body, in preparation for the commemoration of the mystical supper. In other words, the Eucharist the next day, which of course would be Holy Thursday. And this is, again, very significant because in the whole church, but in particular the Eastern churches, the anointing of the sick is, is a service that emphasizes a healing in a, I'm going to call it a psychosomatic way. In other words, body and soul. We are anointed in commemoration of the repentant woman who anointed Christ's feet, but also we're anointed, as I mentioned, with that preparation. We're trying to cleanse ourselves and make ourselves a worthy vessel to receive Christ in the Eucharist the next day. And anointing involves, as I mentioned, healing of soul and body. And this is a strong emphasis in Eastern spirituality, that all sickness, physical sickness, comes ultimately from sin. That was the origins of it, was original sin. And so anything related to original sin, which brought, ultimately it brought death into our reality. Death was never supposed to be. That's why Christ had to come and conquer death. It brought death into our reality and everything related to death, such as sickness. So in order to heal our spiritual ills, we have to also heal our physical ills because one is a manifestation of the other. And in healing ourselves physically, we also heal spiritually. In fact, sometimes healing doesn't come about necessarily in the way that we would like, we had hoped for or prayed for. Maybe the actual physical healing didn't happen, at least not in the way that we would see it. It may be happening in the way that Christ sees it, but it may also be happening on the spiritual level. So remember, healing is not just one-dimensional. Oftentimes, when I work with people who are ill, I visit them in the hospital and so on, I have to admit, I can actually see oftentimes a certain, a certain spiritual purification that is going on in them through their physical illness, through their physical suffering. So once again, another sign of the richness of our faith, and especially of this Holy Week where Christ triumphs over the worst of everything, that even in things we consider to be bad, like sickness, even there you can see Christ triumphing. 
I, I do see transformations in people as they come through their illness. I see them at their best, actually. They're oftentimes a great witness and a great, as I come to console them, they're a consolation to me. So we have to keep in mind this psychosomatic kind of healing that goes on with the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. And this is what we focus on during Great and Holy Wednesday. Now, on Great and Holy Thursday, boy, it just keeps crescendoing. It just gets more and more exciting liturgically. And by the way, by observing and immersing ourselves in these liturgical moments, we actually immerse ourselves into the actual moments of Christ's life the events of his last days on earth. See, what happens when you enter into the reality of Christ liturgically, there's a spanning of time. The constraints of time as we know them, their chronological constraints break down, and we enter into a kind of kairos time, which is, in a sense, where past, present, and future become one. It's almost as though it were timeless. And this is a reality, and this is the significance of liturgy, why it is so important. Because only through liturgy of the church do we mystically enter into the actual event. So what's happening is that we are, in a sense, like the apostles. We're there. We're watching all this happening. We are experiencing it, and we're also Christ as well. We share in Christ's life, his sufferings, and in that redemption So on Holy Thursday, there are four events. It's a very rich day liturgically. We have the washing of the feet. Now that happens, of course, in the Eastern and Western lungs of the church. In the Eastern churches, this is done by the bishop, and he uses 12 men. He does not use women. He uses 12 men. And also on this day, what the bishop will do is he will consecrate the Holy Chrism. And he sends out little vials of that chrism to every parish in his eparchy. We call our diocese eparchies. And what this is doing is it's actually extending the office of the bishop to the priest, to the parish, because only the bishop can chrismate. And this is very clear in the Latinite tradition as bishops actually, in fact, do. They actually do the confirmation ceremonies for the young people. In the Eastern churches, it still is the bishop who confirms, but he extends himself by means of the holy chrism. He sends that to each parish, and then that authorizes the pastors to act on behalf of the bishop to chrismate a candidate for baptism and entrance into the church. Now, the holy chrism is a very fragrant oil. It's made in our particular church by the Sisters of St. Basil in Mount St. Macrina in Uniontown, and it's a secret recipe involving many, many fragrances, many different kinds of oils, and I'm not even sure what else is in there, but it's very fragrant. And it is consecrated by the bishop. In other words, he has an urn on the altar. This is on Holy Thursday. And he calls the Holy Spirit down upon that urn full of the chrism oil. And because he calls the Holy Spirit down on it in a certain way, it becomes consecrated. In the same way we consecrate the bread and wine to become the body and blood of Christ. Now, the chrism doesn't become the body and blood of Christ. However, the chrism, though, through consecration, through the calling down of the Holy Spirit, contains within it the presence of the Holy Spirit. As Eucharist is the presence of the body and blood of Christ, so too, then, is the Holy Chrism the presence of the Holy Spirit. So the person anointed with the chrism receives those gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're sealed into the life of the Trinity through the chrismation. We call it chrismation in the Eastern churches. Along with the consecration of the Holy Chrism and also the washing of the feet. And by the way, that goes on only at the cathedral where the bishop is. 
However, in the parishes, we do not have the washing of the feet or the consecration of the chrism, because only the bishop can do that at the cathedral. But we do have, at the same time, the commemoration of Christ's agony in the garden and the betrayal of Christ, and of course, the what we call in the Eastern churches, the mystical supper. So the Last Supper is called the mystical supper in the Eastern churches. And by the way, even though the outlying parishes of an eparchy do not host the consecration of chrism or the washing of feet, it is a custom for the priests of the eparchy to be with their bishop during those services. So they go from their parishes to the cathedral. They gather together as one fraternity of priesthood in Christ with their bishop. And they take part in the washing of the feet and the consecration of the chrism. Then they return later on on Thursday to their own parishes to celebrate then the Vespers with the liturgy of St. Basil. To commemorate, as I mentioned, Christ's agony in the garden, his betrayal by Judas in the garden, and also the mystical supper. When we come back, we're going to continue to move through this holy and great week of the bridegroom. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion and to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church. We need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. The Tabor Life Institute which is dedicated to the formation and education in the theology of the body. To find out more about the Tabor Life Institute, you can go to taborlife.org. That's taborlife.org. Especially if you're interested in conferences and retreats, in particular for youth, young adults, and also for those of you who speak Spanish. That's taborlife.org. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Loyer, your host. We're walking together and with Christ. I mean, literally, we are doing it through the liturgy, as only the liturgy of the church can do. We're walking with him to Calvary, day by day the events, commemorating them through the liturgy of the church, the rich liturgy of the church on Great and Holy Friday. Before we get any further, since this is a time of gratitude, thanksgiving, redemption, all that is great and good, I want to thank a few of you listeners who have written to us with very kind messages, a lot of kindness towards us. I want to thank William Coffrin and John Coffrin. They're from Akron, Ohio. Great to hear from near my hometown of Cleveland. <laughs> also, I'd like to thank Danny Castro for his kind letter to us. And also, I'd like to thank Peter Flatley. Thank you, Peter Flatley, for your kindness to us as well. I want to thank all of you for all your kindness. I try to get to all of you if I can and send you a letter or give you a little shout out here on Lay of the East. But above all, I want to thank you for listening. It means a lot to us to hear from you, but it means so much for us to know that you are in fact listening. Now, Great and Holy Friday, we are really, really crescendoing here to the climactic moment, which won't come until next Sunday, but we're getting close. Great and Holy Friday. On this day, we commemorate, of course, Christ's suffering and death on the cross and his burial in a tomb. Now, this day is just full of liturgical prayer. It begins with the Matins, which is also called the reading of the 12 Gospels. They might say to yourself, well, there's only four Gospels. Well, yes, there's four evangelists who wrote basically four Gospels. But what we do is we read from each four of those the entire Passion narrative from each of them. So it ends up being 12 readings 
all having to do with these events of Great and Holy Week from the four Gospels written by the four evangelists. So that's why we call it the Twelve Passion Gospels. It's a really lengthy service, but a very beautiful one. Then later on, we have what's called the Royal Hours. Now, they're called Royal Hours because the emperor used to attend those and they're penitential, so he would stand during the whole time. He would show his solidarity with his repentant kingdom, everybody taking part in the liturgical life of the church and doing penance, especially on Great and Holy Friday. So the emperor would stand in the great cathedral of Hagia Sophia and he would attend these royal hours. The royal hours occur at 6 a.m., 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. And they were a prayer that came a little bit later in the prayer history of the church because the history of the church in terms of prayer was very much like the Jewish tradition. There was prayer in the morning and in the evening. In between, the Christians began to add prayers at certain times of the day. And that's why we have what's called the hours. Well, for Holy and Great Friday, it's called the royal hours. Then at 7 o'clock, one of the most popular services in our church, the Vespers with the procession and the burial shroud. This is where there's a cloth that has an image, an icon image of Christ as he's taken down from the cross. He has given up his life. He's taken down from the cross by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the holy women surrounding him, anointing his body, wrapping it in the linen. And the priest takes the image that is on a shroud and he raises it above his head and he walks in procession together with the altar servers and then the people bearing candles. He walks around the church comes back into the church eventually and lays the shroud into something that is symbolic of the tomb. So we really liturgically take on the identity of those people, the last ones at the cross, who took Christ's body down. And they did so rather courageously because they could have gotten in trouble because they would have been an obvious witness, an obvious testimony that they were followers of Christ. In fact, Joseph went to Pilate and asked if he could take the body down. So he's known as very courageous in this regard. He and Nicodemus is also known as being very righteous. So he puts Christ in a tomb, which was his tomb, only, of course, it was unused. We say that Christ was born of a virgin, but also he was laid in a virginal tomb. So it kind of completes the cycle, consistent, the way he came into the world, the way he left the world. And the tomb sits in the middle of the church, And throughout the night, people come and spend a vigil there. Everybody signs up to spend at least an hour as if we were the guards standing at the tomb. The church is open all night long. In fact, the church itself symbolically becomes the tomb, and that will become very significant on Holy and Great Pascha, which we'll talk about next time. The Great and Holy Saturday. Great and Holy Saturday has a theme of Christ's descent into Hades, as I was saying at the beginning of the program today. And it anticipates the moment when Christ will conquer Satan's power, the power of death that he has over humanity, where everybody was held prisoner. They could not really go to heaven until Christ came and paid the ransom. He paid the price. He went down into hell and he defeated Satan, broke the bonds of hell. And it's very dramatically portrayed in the icon of the resurrection, which is actually also called the icon of the descent into hell. There's not actually a scene of the resurrection itself. There is a scene of Christ, we call it Christ harrowing hell, the harrowing of hell. He goes in there and does battle with the evil one and breaks his 
bonds and the hold he has on humanity. And it shows in the icon Christ grabbing Adam and Eve and taking them up out of Hades. And that, of course, is symbolic of all mankind being freed from the grip of Satan and being allowed to rise from the dead and enter heaven. And the service for this is one of the most elaborate and beautiful of all the services in the Byzantine church. The music and the words are just rich and magnificent, extremely poetic and dramatic and mystical. And then in the evening, there is what would might be called the Easter Vigil. It's the Vespers, the Liturgy of St. Basil. That's also the baptismal liturgy. So there are many, many readings, Old Testament readings, all having to do with water, anything related to baptism, anything related to also, for instance, the Exodus, the crossing of the Red Sea. It's, a, again, another magnificent service in which anticipates then this battle that Christ has with Satan, but also his rising up, his victory. And then all that will be left will be tomorrow, the next day, Sunday, Pascha, in which Christ battle, Christ rising from the dead, will become known to the world. And we will take on the posture of those holy women, the myrrh-bearing women, who were the first to hear about Christ's resurrection. And we will become those women as we have become Simon of Cyrene and Joseph of Arimathea and all the characters in this dramatic holy week in Christ's life. We become those characters because, as I mentioned, and never forget this, always keep this in mind, liturgy is our immersion into the reality, into the timeless reality of the scriptures, of the life and events of Jesus Christ. They become our lives, our events. They are forever new and timeless. I want to thank you for listening. I hope you will have a most blessed, most holy, holy week a most holy week of the Bridegroom. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East.
The EWTN home video highlight for April is Fatima, Altar of the World. This documentary testifies to the profound connection between heaven and Fatima. You'll also receive a beautiful one-of-a-kind centennial rosary dedicated to the 100th anniversary of the Fatima apparitions created by Gorelli. Order your DVD and centennial rosary set at EWTNRC.com 24 hours a day, 7 days a week or call 1-800-854-6316. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.